Amen. Thank you so much. Welcome back, Natalie. <clears throat> My only regret is that the microphone didn't perform as well as you two did. It was a very good song. Thank you. And uh, well written, too. It's fantastic in every way, shape, and form. Just need better batteries. Let's have a, a word of prayer as we continue with our service. Father in heaven, we once again pause to ask that you would touch our minds to encourage us, to inspire us. And yes, there's even times where it's appropriate where you can challenge us to be a little more in Jesus. We ask that you would speak to us and that we would hear you and that we would respond positively to you today for your glory, for our privilege, and as a wonderful witness to the people around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> our scripture reading this morning is going to be coming from the book of Numbers, if you'd follow me there in your Bible or your smartphone. The book of Numbers, way back in the Old Testament. <coughs> Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, and we'll start in verses 17 through 20. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up into the Negev, which is the southern part of, of now Israel, land of Canaan, and then go up into also the hill country, which is the northern part, and see what the land is like, and see whether the people who live in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many. And see how the land is in which they live. Is it good or bad? And how the cities in which they live are. Are they open camps or do they have fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit, for it was the time of the season for the grapes to be ripe. God had just released Israel from slavery in Egypt. They were there for hundreds of years. He released them. He conquered the biggest, baddest military of the known world with simply some weather patterns and mosquitoes and darkness. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them right up to the southern part of the land of Canaan. <coughs> and he reminded them, he reminded them that as they look north, as they look into the land of milk and honey, as they look at modern-day Israel, as they look at the land of Canaan, and you can get a, well, that's not quite it. I've been there. It's not that beautiful, but <laughs> maybe it was back then. But as they look into the land of Canaan, God had them pause, and God reminded them that I want to give you a gift, a free gift, I want to give you a gift, and it's going to be a large piece of property. God wanted to give them the property so that they had the privilege to grow closer to God, and that they also, in turn, would have the opportunity to help other people grow closer to God. 
they liked that, whether you live back then or today or regardless of what country you're in. Most people like gifts, especially when they're free, and it's nice to have a little land as well. And so some of the Israelites thought it would be a good idea. Well, maybe we should go look at this place before we go there. <coughs> to them, it was logical. They thought, well, if, if the grass is good up north, we need to send the shepherds there. If the fishing's good down south, it would be kind of nice to know where to send the fishermen. And if the dirt's really good over east, we'll need to know where to send the people who farm and do the, you know, for the, the figs and, you know, the fruits and vegetables. So they wanted to send some spies up there to see what was happening. It makes sense. It's logical. It's helpful to plan ahead. So in Numbers 13, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send out for yourselves men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. And you shall send a man, each of their father's tribes, one from a leader from every one of them. In other words, there's 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> send up 12 people. And so they did. God was willing to let them, to, to let them go and see what he had promised them. He figured, well, if they go up in faith, they'll come back in faith, and they can encourage the rest of the nation of Israel. Now, before I became a pastor, I, I went through three years of marketing degree, and I enjoyed it, and, and I always thought, well, there's, there's benefits. There's something to be learned from, some, from research and kind of knowing what you're doing. And it helps even in church if you do it right. There's a difference between information and manipulation and and it kind of helps to know what we should be praying about and where to spend the money and where to put your efforts. So if you do it right, there's a benefit to it. And uh, I've known other churches to do this. For example, I knew <coughs> these, um, it's one community. There was three gentlemen. They sat down for breakfast most days. And as they were sitting there for breakfast, they were talking amongst themselves and they were making a list literally on a napkin and they were noticing how many people uh, in their area were Adventists, but they used to be, but are no longer. And there was hundreds and hundreds of them. And they said, well, I mean, they're just, they're nice people too. Maybe they've been discouraged. We should maybe have something next month to encourage them. <clears throat> so they decided to have, um, they said, well, what do they have in common? And they said, well, we love Southern gospel music, like the Gaithers and that kind of stuff. And uh, so they said, well, let's have next month, let's have a big Southern gospel concert and an ice cream social. And let's just invite a bunch of these people and show that God is still alive. He's still nice. Is this? Oh, there we go. Uh, even though maybe someone was a stinker to you in the past and maybe you want to give it a try it again. So they did. And even though they did their research, they were shocked how many people showed up. So they did it again and even more people showed up. And they said, you know, and these are just lay people. They're not on commission. They're not pastors. They're, they're, they weren't getting a benefit. They had to work overtime to do it. But they cared about people. And then they said, well, let's, maybe we should try this again. So they ended up doing it every month for like six, seven, eight, nine months. And every time they did it, more people would show up. And, and they got this really uh, simple but obvious revelation. You know, we should try and plant a church just simply following this model. Have it be casual, because they, they were casual, because uh, the church over the hill was really the opposite, and some people didn't like that. So they said, well, let's try something new. Let's be really casual. Let's have a whole bunch of uh, southern gospel music, and let's have a bunch of socials. 
So, I mean, they were doing that. I mean, like every month, at least once a month or more. I mean, they're having church every Sabbath, but they're also having concerts constantly and socials, and they did this a lot. And they were averaging for the first four or five years with no pastor, no board members. For the first four, four or five years, they were averaging over 40 new people sitting there every year. If you can do that math, it's pretty simple. Four or five years, 40 people a year, that's, you know, your average church, you name the denomination. It's kind of fun to see big buildings like this and see the big churches and think, oh, wow, if only. But in reality, in 2020, the average church in America, you name the denomination, the average church only has 78-ish people. That's the average church. We think, man, they're all getting so big. What about mine or what about? The average church is still 78 members. The average pastor in America still has several jobs. They'll paint, they'll build, they'll do lots of stuff because the average church, you know, their tithe comes from their members and there's only, you know, like 70, some of them. So anyway, they were led without a board. They were, they were led without elders. They were led without a pastor. Four or five years in, they were ga- averaging over 40 people a year <laughs> until uh, life hit, like the fantastic young ladies Jasmine and Natalie were singing about that sometimes life happens and you have one of those moments well this church had two of those moments they go by different names challenges trials difficulties hardships well this church had two of them and it kind of rocked their church to put it lightly so the next three or four years they were losing about 40 people a year Here again, you can do the math. If most churches average about 78-ish people and you're losing 40 a year, most churches would disappear in two years. They had enough people. They lost that many people in two, three years, but they were still there. And that's when I got the call to be their pastor. And uh, (coughs) I was told a lot of... I've been out of the your workforce for so many years. I used to, I would became a pastor later in life. I used to own a business and do other things, but it's been so many years since I was in your walk of life. I don't know what that's like as much anymore, but um, they were going through this, chi- this trial, and the, the, the conference asked me to be basically their first pastor. They said, well, maybe we can send someone to see if we can help you and encourage you. And of course, you know, I, I was told the good stuff, you know, the, the, the heyday. But after I got there, I realized, well, something's, you know, not the way it was back in the good old days. Something's amiss. They've lost their spark. So just in listening to them, you know, they were sharing with me some of their experiences. And so I, I spent literally the next 12 to 15 months preaching, leading prayer meeting, visiting, encouraging, listening, talking, (laughs) meeting with and going into their homes of these wonderful people, trying to figure out uh, these basic things. And I think uh, Crystal's made a slide for us, and they're they're really quite simple. (laughs) When I visited people in her home, I asked them four basic questions. The first question was, what was the church's mission in the beginning? And it's mind-blowing. Their mission was so simple, so clear, so effective. They were so unified when they started their church. And it was just a church plant like this was, and it wasn't that old. When it was a church plant, when they'd started, I was living in another state, and I heard about what they were doing. 
And as I was asking these people, some leaders, some members, some weren't even members. And 95 to 99% of everybody I talked to could list their vision. They knew what they were about. They said, oh, man, that church, if they weren't a member, or if they were a member, they said, well, my church. And they said, well, they're all about doing a camp meeting. They were so committed, they were putting on two of their own camp meetings every year for big dollars. They were bringing in big-name people. They ended up buying 30, I think it's 31 or 33 acres. They set up a whole place where it, with RVs, people coming from like Florida and all kinds of different states traveling there to come to their two camp meetings a year. They thought they were a really big deal. And everybody knew, oh, we know what they're about. They're about the camp meetings, Southern gospel music, and, and, and socials. They want to have a lot of fun, and they do all of this in a real casual setting. 99 to 95% of everybody, you could meet them on the street in the community. They, they weren't even an Adventist. And they knew they were about these four things. It's mind-blowing. How consistent. I, I think on my, one of my laptops, I still have the notes from that, from all those years ago, on how ama amazing it was, how many people knew what they were about back in the day, and that was eight-ish years ago, and they still remembered, well, in the beginning, we wanted to be about these things, and eight years later, I asked them, and they still knew. So then I asked them the second question. I said, well, um, you know, and currently, what's the mission now? And once again, 99 to 95% of the people said, in agreement, we don't know. Just totally switched. So I said, okay, well, what do you want the future to be? Or, you know, what do you want the mission to be in the future? And you can plug in any word you want, target, mission, focus, ministry. You know, we can play word gymnastics, but it's the same. What do you want to be doing? What does this church want to be known for in the future? And again, 95 to 90%, <clears throat> 95 to 99% of the people said, I don't know. Some even said, I don't care. <laughs> and then, of course, I, I kind of already knew where this was going, but then I asked them the next question. <coughs> and I said, well, where do you want to help Jesus? This is not about me. It's not necessarily about the building. You know, where do you want to help? And I don't remember the number. It wasn't quite 95%, but it was the great majority. The great majority said, well, I don't really want to. One person, he was the mayor of the city, literally. He was an Adventist fellow, Many times Adventists, especially back in the day, avoided politics like the plague. He was not one of them. He saw himself as having abilities and leadership, so much so he was the mayor of the town. And I remember sitting in his home asking him these very questions. And uh, I asked him, so where do you want to help? Because he was sharing some of the challenges the church had and some things he was uncomfortable with. And uh, so I said, where is it you want to help? And he said he didn't. 
He didn't think it would be worth his time to help Jesus, but it was worth his time to help the secular government. He, for some reason, didn't think it made sense for him anymore to actually do both, which seemed kind of strange to me. When these three guys started, they focused on helping people connect to their church. And they did it in such a way that the community appreciated. That's why they showed up, because they liked what they were offering. They liked what they were offering. It didn't matter if they were a member or not, young or old, unified. They were successful and they were about something, and that's what made them work, because they all knew what they were about, and they actually took part in it. They were all active. They were all active. When God sent the Israelites out, he had a plan for them too. God took the Israelites out of Egypt, plopped them right on the border, and said, now remember, remember, I want to give you a gift because I care about you. You see all that out there? It's yours. Miles of Mediterranean seashore. I mean, how much does oceanfront cost? Miles of the Mediterranean seashore. Jordan River. Streams and Sea of Galilee and farming and fruit trees. and He said, all of that's yours. I'm going to give you that land. Everything you're seeing, that, that's your land. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. Because I want a place, as he's speaking to his then day, he was speaking to his remnant at that point. He was speaking to human beings who were just normal and they had good days and bad days and they were a little broken, but they didn't usually know it. And he said, I want to give you that property so that there's a, there's a safe place for you to grow closer to God. And as you're doing that, it'll be a nice place that, that in turn you can also help other people grow closer to God. You would think they'd be pretty excited, and they were. You would think it would really impact the choices they'd made. You'd think it would impact how they prayed and if they prayed. You think it would impact, especially those 12 spies, you think it would impact what they'd be doing for those next 40 days as they went out. Knowing, well, when I come back, i got to talk to the rest of Israel. Um, man, you think it would affect your thoughts and feelings and actions and motives. So when you come back, man, think of all the stories and the ways you could encourage people in your family. And Jump with me back into the text here, Numbers 13, 25 to 32. Numbers 13, 25 to 32. They returned from spying out the land, these 12, at the end of the 40 days. They proceeded to come to Moses and Israel and all of the congregation in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them some of the fruit of the land. Thus they told them, quote, we went into the land where, uh, 
where we were sent, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And, and this is some of the fruit. It was modern day, they'd insert the slide there. This is some of the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. In other words, giants. 9, 10, 11, 12 feet tall people. Goliath. Amalek is living in the land in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and by the Jordan. So in other words, they all kind of had their niches too. The Canaanites were into fishing, so they're by the water, and you know, etc., etc. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. <coughs> so they sent out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they'd spied out, saying, the land with which we had gone into and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Well, it was definitely a good things that were happening there because God is so generous they couldn't completely ignore it as you know many of you know the story there was two grown men that had to carry <clears throat> one cluster of grapes it was just so bountiful but despite that goodness the 12 of them just couldn't quite be positive there's too many people they're too busy it would take way too much money or maybe I've lost my place in the sermon. That's what we say in America today. That wasn't the words they used. They said they're all giants. The cities are huge. The walls are tall. And the land literally swallows everything up. If it was literally so bad and so rough and it swallowed everything up, why was the fruit and vegetables so large? Why were all the people so large? It's not logical. It's not consistent. They were supposed to be on a mission for God. What happened? Unfortunately, life is not black and white. Life, life is not like the light switch where it's on or off. Light, life is kind of like in, in a process and, and there's such thing as having no faith in God or being like Jesus and having 100% faith no humans have 100% but unfortunately these people were closer to this side of the spectrum where they, they, they didn't have very much faith and trust in God they just they didn't have very much trust in God and so it started this very um, painful domino effect in their life because they didn't have very much faith in God and trusted Him. It led them to the next step of assuming success was based on their shoulders and their ability. So which started the next chain reaction which then made them feel very overwhelmed. Which then started the next thing which we read in verse 31, where 10 of the 12 said, quote, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for, what does he say? 
us. Oops. Whoever said they were supposed to be doing the battle. The country may change. The theological words may change. But it's been the, it's the same since the beginning. Everybody is saved by faith alone in God's efforts. God told them in the very beginning, I took you out of Egypt. You didn't get out because you were strong. You didn't get out because you were spiritual giants. You're not going to get the land of Canaan because you have a bunch of money. God conquered the biggest, baddest military in the world by just because he wanted to. He took out the least of them because he wanted to. He was going to give them the property because he simply wanted to. He gave them food, water, clothing, shelter, shelter. He protected them because he wanted to. What they were really good at was getting in the way. That's what these church people were good at. And sometimes I'm really good at that. And God has to remind me sometimes, hey, just, you know, That church I mentioned earlier, they didn't have titles. They didn't have church people getting in their way in the beginning. They were just wanting to follow God. Unfortunately, at some point, Israel became a little spiritually confused. And they weren't trusting God very much. And they thought they were supposed to do it, which discouraged them greatly. How in the world are we ever going to get that piece of property. And as I encourage you later today, the kids, hopefully, if the snow is still out there, the kids will want to go out and play in the snow. I know my kids have been doing it since the moment they woke up at 7 this morning. <coughs> but those who won't be out playing in the, in the snow and the wetness today, I encourage you, spend a little time if you want to read it, or if not, just listen to your smartphone. It'll read it for you. Numbers 13, unless you have some really unique translation. <clears throat> Nowhere in this chapter do the ten spies even mention God's name. They weren't in a great place. And you can say, well, now, Pastor, you're taking liberties on interpreting it. We can't, just because they didn't say God's name didn't mean they're not in a good place, which is true. Sometimes people can overcompensate and they say Jesus every five minutes and they're not in a good place, but they do that to overcompensate. I totally get that. But we're fortunate that uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, the story is also recorded and it gives us some more information. So if you'd like, turn with me to Deuteronomy. It's just a few pages to your right or on your smartphone, just a click or two. Deuteronomy chapter 1, it's the very name of the book, it's just... Uh, they're giving the story a second time. And so some of the facts are the same, but then they also give some additional facts. Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 27. Still Moses writing it, but he's giving more facts. And uh, so I'm jumping in Deuteronomy 1, 26 and 27. Same context. You can dive in and read more of it later. Uh, verse 26. You were not willing to go up but instead rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, quote, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out to the land, he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Wow. 
The only time these people mention God was to say he hates us, he's against us, and God wants to kill us. That was the sum, not everybody, but that was some of their modern-day remnant leaders. Imagine how discouraged it would make the rest of the group to be telling the group, God hates us. He's against us. I mean, what a pitiful thing that'd be. Good news, bad news today. Good news is all the young people are right. Bad news, God's against us. He takes away all of our fun. Would you like to be a member? This is pretty exciting. Who wants to sign up? Just takes two, three days of your week, part of your Saturdays, so you can't do all that other fun American stuff, and just, you know, 10, 12, 13 percent of your paycheck. And God's not very nice. We could list book after book. I could put books up here that, that I'll pick on one because it was years ago, the author's dead, and <coughs> so it's, it doesn't sound personal because I'm just trying to share a point. The title is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, you know, that's really exciting. Or here's one that, that is still somewhat modern, but they've sold so much they don't listen and they wouldn't care what I'm saying anyway. Sold many millions and millions and tens of millions of movies and books. It's called Left Behind, and the whole premise is, you know, God has some favorites. He likes you guys. He doesn't like you. You can give your money. You can sit here. You can help people across the street. He just doesn't like you. Or we can talk about other books where, you know, God will burn you for eternity. But because it's God, it's okay. He can do whatever he wants. So that's good news. It's okay if God acts like the devil and he's a total terrible monster. He's a God. He, he can do anything he wants. He's God. Good news. Praise the Lord. Would you like to join our church? It might not be quite so hot if you do. But I don't know. You'll never quite know. Well, that's really exciting. These people were in such a spiritual uh, fog. They were, they were the, in their day, they were considered the remnant. They were in such a fog. They thought not only God was against them, they thought God hates us and God is trying to be as God does. He's trying to be so creative and unique and he's trying to kill us. They were in such a fog, they thought God was a monster. And sometimes, like we do today, sometimes they had those rare moments where they even said it. And it's kind of recorded here. But I imagine they, like us, probably had some national pride, and they, like us, told, had parents and grandparents, shut up, and you, just, you can't say that about God. But some of them were thinking it. And sometimes it even verbally came out. I don't like him. I don't trust him. I think he's against me. I consider myself still quite young. 
But in my life, as I've went to many different places, especially before I was a pastor, now I'm a pastor, so it's like I carry this bulletin board where everybody just kind of like stay away or don't, you know, be honest or open or, you know, tell him fake stuff where he wants to hear. But before I was a pastor, I would hear the most amazing things on how people would be honest sometimes, how they didn't like God and they didn't trust him and they didn't feel safe and they thought he was against them or he was cruel and had favorites and some people would say that in the church and some people would say that outside the church. Imagine if all of you were dying of thirst and I said, well, good news, I've got some water here. But, you know, but I did put some poison in it. So, you know, that doesn't help. And for people to be in a difficult spot and then for the very leaders of the remnant to say I know you're in a difficult spot if only God could help you know if only God wasn't a monster if, if it just if he wasn't against us and he really didn't want to hurt us man, he could really be helpful in times like this that was their message to Israel man that land looks good look at the fruit the only thing between us and what we really want is yeah, it's, it's God that was their message. My word. Now, I'm still new here, and I highly doubt that's the issue here. It's probably more of a message for people on the YouTube that are watching. But I've, I've been in churches before where they had plans. Some of them forgot their plans. Some of them remembered their plans. But some of them would say, and you know, we have mature, adult, educated, churchy ways to make it sound good, but basically when you rub off all that, uh, what's the nice, appropriate, kosher, churchy word? When you rub off all that other stuff, when you rub off all the, you know, the Adventist, you know, hot dog food, and you get down to the roots of it, they basically say, we want to help them. So, I mean, they need help. They want help. We want to help them. But, man, it, it, God, he just, God's our problem? God is the one that gives us our oxygen, lets our feet move, our fingers move, our eyes blink. God gives us the desire and ability to do anything and everything that's ever been decent. God is the one that even gives us the desire to say, we should go help somebody. Where do you think that rocket idea came from? Sinful people? Sinful people don't have the idea to come up with something nice according to Scripture. I know that's very anti-American, but that's not scriptural. Good things come from God. Even if you don't know it or you don't give God credit, the idea is from the Holy Spirit. And God saying, you should probably go help them. You think Bill Gates is wanting to go help the world because he's an awesome guy? According to Scripture, he's a sinful, horrible person that needs to die. Like me. Like everybody. God, because churches aren't doing enough, God and the Holy Spirit, without him even knowing it, I'm, I don't know that he's even aware of it, he doesn't claim to be overly spiritual, without even knowing it, God and the Holy Spirit are influencing Bill Gates to say, we should give away all of our money because that's, that's what all wealthy American people do, right? Wrong. God's getting him to do it. These good ideas aren't ours, they're God's. We're not against God 
trying to do good stuff. We should be working with him. The author of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 3, hundreds of years later, writing about this exact group, this exact group in the wilderness, is reminding his readers, reminding the readers that the plan hasn't changed. The plan is still the same. Trust and appreciate God. Be one of those rare people that trust and appreciate God. It's the best way to live life. Numbers 13.31 Ten of the men who had gone up with Caleb and Joshua said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Their main challenges were basically they didn't trust God enough. That doesn't mean God is going to give them all of Russia. He was just going to give them something. But they didn't trust God enough, and so it started this dangerous chain of events that because they didn't trust God enough, they thought the mission and the success was based on their abilities which then started the next pitiful thing. They felt overwhelmed because that is reality. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough weapons. They didn't have enough ability. They weren't strong enough. They absolutely could not do it. They're correct. But they missed the fact that God had already, in the past, God already told them, it's mine and I want to give it to you. And he wanted to give it to them so they had a space, they had a property, they had a place where they, because they needed, well, the, the remnant, they needed a place where they could let God rub off on them more because they needed more of God. They weren't as amazing as they thought. They needed a place where they could connect with God more regularly so God could rub off on them more so they could be healthier. They could be happier. They could be more balanced. They'd have less fighting in the house. They'd have less divorce. They'd have less dysfunction. Still not perfect. That's heaven. But they could be growing into God more and also have a place where they could help other people have that same privilege. That's why God was giving them that place. And in my opinion, so do we. When it's not a holiday, when the weather's not something that Dallas isn't used to, when we meet here, we have limitations, if you haven't noticed. because something here has gone well. And praise God, thank you to Pastor Boyan, thank you to the leaders like Elena and others who have been here from the beginning <coughs> that helped pray and pay and sweat and start up nothing. People like Debbie and Brian and Michelle and Jasmine and Justin and Natalie and others that were here in the beginning 
I don't know everybody's name, like Royce, and there's others, but some of you are here in the beginning, and you're still here, and you were not, you were not like those ten. You didn't think everybody's too busy. You didn't think, well, we don't have the money. You weren't like that. You were like Joshua and Caleb, and you thought, well, we probably can't. <laughs> but God can. I don't even know how he's going to do it, but God, I think, can do anything. If he simply spoke, and there's a human being, and there's a male, there's a female, there's tigers and kittens and leopards and elephants, and there's the ocean, and, and there's even Texas. God even made Texas. He just did it all by just speaking. He can certainly make this happen if he wanted to. And now look what it's become. It's become infectious. It's become contagious. Some of the, not everyone, but some of the kids' classrooms, we don't have room for other kids. And this, this space, this building, has been a wonderful experience uh, in my short time here, and it's my understanding from listening to you that this building has been a nice experience for you. It's been one of the many things God has blessed this place with to get to the next step. But, you know, wouldn't it be nice... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Wouldn't it be nice if we really wanted to help the Pathfinders and the other little kids around the community? Because they'll join the Boys Club and the Girls Club and Path, or not Pathfinder, but Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. And I mean, they're into all kinds of stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a place where we could help the little kids around here, you know, on Monday nights? Well, we can't. Have you ever noticed that there's at least two, three, if not four more, at least two, three big, and I mean, big, big, millions, if not billion-dollar businesses that all they do 24 hours a day is talk about food. You notice that? Some of you like that, the cooking show and the Food Network, and some of you know their chefs and all that kind of fun stuff, and you've bought their products, and that's fun stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a place on Tuesdays we could actually bring people and say, you know, we want to help people learn how to eat and prepare food also. We can't do that. I know a church in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, <laughs> that has about this many people. But they have their own space. And one person decided, I want to do something to share with the young kids. I don't remember the age group. I think it's like uh, 9 to 15, something like that. It was her idea to help the young kids in church, which is probably like a handful of them, but mainly the community, help them learn how, you know, the eight laws of health, but also, you know, how to prepare food and be a little healthy in their own unique way. And, and she did it for the community. They have a waiting list. And their church has a kitchen. They've got a waiting list. People liked it so much, some came back, and they have even had some people say, I want to get baptized in Jesus and join this church because of that simple little kids' cooking class. I'm still new here, and I don't know the way everything works, but I, I believe that you guys are really, really into the summer kickoff. That first Sunday in, in uh, June, Crystal was speaking about it to, to some of you and many of you. It's a really big deal. To those who it is a big deal, you really get burnt out because you wish maybe some more people thought it was a big deal. But there's many, 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 many people coming from the community. Wouldn't that be kind of cool and easy and logical 
if we had it on our own property. So if someone showed up and they said, you guys are really nice to kids. Wouldn't it be cool to kind of come to your place? Where's that at? Well, now if you, if you take a left at the tree and uh, when you see the hawk, take a right and we're down, you know, that really, really busy street. Well, that church doesn't have our name, but if you come on a different day to the same building at this unique time, let me, are you writing all that down? This is sounding a little complicated. Wouldn't it be nice to just simply say, Oh, we like what you're doing here. We want to come back. Uh, when is it? Where is it? Well, where your car's parked, that's where you park. Where you're at, this is it. The restroom you just used, that'd be the same one. And guess what? Next weekend, next weekend, when the summer kickoff's over, we have a, a relationship seminar. It's free, just like our summer kickoff, because as we remember... When Jesus came down, he didn't charge us anything. Jesus sacrificed and he gave. For the people that Jesus is living in their heart and their mind, we sacrifice. It's called tithes and offerings. We sacrifice so we can offer it to them for free. So we just... We know that God cares about people, and he's, he's, he's slowly trying to help us to learn how to care about people, too. So next weekend, we have a relationship seminar. <coughs> so if you would love to have you come out. If you, you know, we tune up our cars and can't hurt. Be nice to have a place where we could do that. So in closing, we got a slide here. Everybody, if you'll take out your smartphones... You take out your smartphone. I know most everybody has one. Even if it's not a smartphone, just a regular phone. If you take out your phone, <coughs> the bottom there is my cell number. Still a Seattle number. Now I'm going to go through these, this list twice. Um, so I'll just kind of go over it once, and then I'll go over it the second time, just so it makes sense. Now I'm hoping that you'll put in my cell number and that you'll text a response to these things. It's totally free. If you want it to be anonymous, you can take one of those pieces of paper and just put on there one, two, three, four, five, six, and put in the offering once the, the people come up and uh, finish in music. We'll collect offering. You can even put it in that so it's totally anonymous. If you're putting your, uh, if you're going to text me and I don't have your number, it would be nice if your name was in there so I knew who you were especially as we get to some, through some of these. <coughs> all right. Um, and all the responses can literally be one word to a sentence. If you're going well over a sentence, like if you're German and your sentence is a whole page, you know, be a little more American for this, for this illustration. So, uh, the last Saturday of the month, January 25th, I think it's in the bulletin. I, I should know better, but is that the same time, Debbie? It is. So, basically, January 25th, the last Saturday of the month, after church, after Sabbath school, approximately 1.15 to 2.30, we're going to have a business meeting where we're going to discuss what would be the next good uh, step for our church to take uh, in a building. And, there, and, and I'll reveal that there, but there's, uh, as of now, in my understanding, there's six options. And so we'll kind of discuss as a group what, what you think we should do. So put down literally in your text or your paper, one, two, three, four, five, six, 
And, you know, will you attend, number one, yes or no? Number two, are you willing to pray five minutes a day for God's direction, for the ministry for our church, and for the building? And if you want to pray more, praise the Lord. If you pray more, praise the Lord. <coughs> I wanted it to be low, not to insult anybody, but um, you might be one of them, and you don't even have to tell me, because uh, I don't like to be uncomfortable, so I'm certainly not trying to make you uncomfortable, but... Some people may pray five minutes a day between now and that meeting and find it, it's five minutes, but I never even used to kind of pray that much. So it might be more than some people are doing. Um, so there's that. Number three, what was Crosswalk's mission in the beginning? And some might say, well, I wasn't here. I wasn't there at that church when, when they started their mission either, but I knew what it was. And so if you know what it is, just put down it. And don't, and don't be one of those people, oh, pastor's new, you know, he, he still doesn't have everything. God bless him. And Debbie is so amazing. She does so much. She probably hasn't emailed it to him. So after church, I'm going to go in my file. I'm going to take a picture of all five pages of their original mission. I know how to find that. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm wanting from you just a quick, simple sentence in your understanding, the best you know, what was this church's mission in the beginning? And secondly, <coughs> in present tense, to best of your understanding, what's the church's mission currently? And here again, don't look in the bulletin and take a picture. If you've got to look in the bulletin and take a picture, that's not it. That, that proves to me we're, we're missing something. If someone, yeah, so you get the point. Uh, number five, what do you want Crosswalk's mission to be in the future? And I'm not trying to blow things up and change it, but uh, if you know what it was and you want it to stay the same, great. Um, so on the number six, where do you want to help? And here again, just make it simple. If you say, hey, my name is Joe. I'm the head deacon. Loving it. Want to stay. Awesome. And this certainly doesn't by any means mean that if I get 200 responses and everybody wants to be the treasurer, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be the treasurer. Just wanting to, to listen. <coughs> so again, I'll go through them one more time. There's my cell number. Text me, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, put your name on there, please. If you want it to be anonymous, don't put your number. Uh, and also you can even, if you want to take an extra step, fill out a paper and put in the offering because I'm new. I don't know your handwriting. Your name won't be on it. So, so here again. Number one, are you willing, would you please come to that meeting, yes or no? Number two, um, would you pray every day five minutes between now and January 25th? Number three, to the best of your ability, within a sentence-ish, what was Crosswalk's mission in the beginning? Number four, to the best of your understanding, what's Crosswalk's mission now? And number five, what do you want the mission to be in the future? And number six, where do you want to help Jesus? And I'll close with this, and then we'll, we'll listen, and, and not just listen, but we'll all stand together and sing this wonderful song together. There's many illustrations we can give. I think of my wife in a moment like this, and uh, she, though she's petite in size, she loves to lift weights, and she loves to jog, and she's so busy with me and life and being a mommy and the two kids and homeschooling and everything else, she doesn't get to as much as she used to. But back when I met her, she... Um, she'd love to run. It would be nothing for her to run 10, 11, 12 miles a day. To me, it's like, <laughs> you need a vehicle. And she had one, but it's like, you know, those aren't 
those are driving distances. But to her, we're all unique, and God blessed us all. And for her, <coughs> she, she, uh, runners say this. I'm, I'm, I have faith in Jesus. This is not my faith, but it's her faith. The more she runs, the, she says, oh, the more energy I get. That's her. And so, she, so she'd run 9, 10, 11, 12 miles, and she'd love it. And she used to run almost a six-minute mile. She just loved it. <clears throat> and, uh, but uh, I can't do that. I'll play a lot of sports all day, but I just don't do that. You can't just get off a couch and say, I'm going to go run a marathon, and I'll run like five-minute mile. It doesn't work that way. And it also doesn't work by watching the television, watching other people play tennis or do IT or, you know, run or whatever analogy you want to think of. It doesn't work to just watch somebody. At some point, you actually have to do it. And then you get better. The best Christian experience, and I, and I hope you're loving the Sabbath school classes. I don't remember everybody's names. It's Christine and Joanna and Jennifer and Royce and... And, and Michelle and different groups, different ages, and they're doing awesome stuff. The kids are liking it. Your kids are liking it. Thank you to the parents who are doing it. It's awesome. And the people out here who are teaching, uh, um, uh, Lisley and Steve, and it's awesome stuff. And, and I'm glad that people are here and watching on YouTube, and they're being encouraged by what we do as a church. But the best way the best way for a human and a Christian to grow is to do something, not only be blessed by someone else doing something. So please, um, participate. Um, just wanting to continue to see where we're at, the best way to move forward, and, and how you can be your best as you move forward. And biblically and even logically, we all know the best way to do that is to be active. And it helps to have people active where they actually want to be active. So please um, do that on paper or on text. Please, please, please. 